0: People think about becoming vegan as this thing that they don't want to do because it's inconvenient. They think they're gonna stand out. They think they're never gonna enjoy food again. So they think it's gonna be an emotionally negative experience. But for me, it's been the complete opposite because for me, it was a part of me growing as a person and becoming the best version of myself by being like, you know what? I don't just want to do what's best for me, I also want to see how my actions can make the world a better place. That's what fulfills me. When I had that perspective, it made it really, really easy because I saw it as this positive thing that I was doing to better myself, like it was in complete alignment with where I wanted to go and and who I saw myself to be and that was really helpful.
1: Do I look like I have like a triple belly or whatever? I'll just like cover it up like this. It looks weird. (laughs) I'm not pregnant. (laughs) I guess we'll just start on that note. What the hell is up? I have Ryuji with us today on Jamie's Corner. Super exciting. He was in New York City and I was like, we need to record something. So here we are. I guess in this episode, we're gonna go over filmmaking, we're going to talk about animal rights activism, duh, obviously, <laughs> and we're going to talk about what you're up to these days, where you see things going, and we're going to hear some really fun stories. So thank you everybody for listening, and thank you for joining me today. Cool,
0: thank you for having me, super excited.
1: So tell, tell everybody a little bit about you, who you are, what you do.
0: My name is Ryuji, and I work in the animal rights world. So, I currently work as a video producer at Surge Activism, which is the uh, organization, the nonprofit that was founded by Earthling and his partner. Uh, that's how you might know it. And uh, yeah, apart from that, I just work on educational projects. That's basically my whole thing is you know, I'm just a guy who wants to make the world a better place, and I happen to have picked the area of animal rights in order to do that. And like making the world a better place means something very specific for me. It means basically, you know, I think about if there's one thing that I could change in the world, what would it be? And it's suffering. So the way I think about it is, you know, what what can I do that will reduce the suffering in the world?
1: And that's exactly what you're doing. And your work is so inspiring to so many people because what Ryuji really does in his work is he takes complex subjects and complex topics, and breaks it down and makes it digestible for people like me to understand, <laughs> basically. Hopefully, hopefully. Simply put. Can you tell everybody a little bit about how you even got into animal rights and how you became vegan?
0: Sure thing. So, I went vegan to get a girlfriend. <laughs> and it's not because I was trying to impress a girl who was vegan. Fact, I would have never even thought about that. Okay. But it was because when I was in high school, I was I was miserable. So back then, I was concerned with teenager things like being popular and uh, fornicating. And that's basically all I could think about all day. And I couldn't do that. Like I did not know how to do that, right? Like we hit puberty and everyone around me was going to parties. And I remember on Sunday mornings, I would wake up, I would go on Facebook, which for any kids watching, that's like a social media that we used to use back in the day. You kids don't know about Facebook? Oh no. You're dating me. But it's like, you know, on um, Facebook, I would see these photos. From all the popular kids in school, and they were going to parties, and hanging and like having fun, and going to clubs, and doing all this stuff. And I was like, I want to be a part of that, but I was really not a part of that, and that's like just all I could think about. And so by fluke, I somehow stumbled into the world of personal development, right? And I, for some reason, I just came across like a video or something of someone saying, hey, look, if you're not happy with your life right now, I was there too. But guess what? We can work on it. And if you work on it, you can create the circumstances that you want. And back then, I was like, this is amazing. Like, clearly, what I've been doing so far didn't work. So let me try this. You know, it gave me a whole new perspective that if there's something that I don't like about how my life is, I can work on it. And just like you learn to ride a bicycle or you learn a language or learn to play an instrument... You can learn to do things. Like you can learn to make friends. You can learn how to get better at dating. You can get better at, you know, your health, your, you know, whatever it is. And so I started doing that and actively wow. working on that. And so what I would do back then is I would, I remember this one thing I would listen to, right? It was called Lead the Fields. It's like this personal development tape from like the 1960s by this guy called Earl Nightingale. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it is great, by the way, because like the, the big principles of personal development, I feel like they never really change. Uh, so I would listen to that. And what I would do is I would play that on repeat. And every day after school, I would walk around the city for three, four hours and just like play that on repeat. Because I realized that like the thoughts and ideas that I was around back then were not serving me. The things that I'd learned from society and maybe just to a certain extent, my parents, school, all, like it, it just wasn't working for me. And I realized that if I was going to change my life, I had to drastically change the thoughts in my head. Wow. And so that's how, like, I realized I should put myself around people who have better thoughts than me. Because I was like, it's a mess in here. I, like, I'm not having a single smart thought. Mm-hmm. Let me listen to people who have a lot more life experience who can teach me something that's going to help me. So I just did that for hours and hours and hours and hours every mm-hmm. single day. And that really changed my psychology. It really changed how I saw the world, how I saw myself, how I saw a possibility and opportunity. And uh, yeah, that was super helpful. But that taught me a few key lessons. So one of the key lessons was that uh, a helpful, uh, a helpful mindset to have about things in general is the idea that you're responsible for your own life mm-hmm. so for example, if there's something that you're not happy with, you can take responsibility for mm-hmm. it and you can say, okay, there's this thing that I would like, I don't have it what actions can I take to get there
1: right right, right. so
0: whether that be something external or internal you know it could be like how you feel maybe you just want to feel better because you don't feel that great all the time. That that was definitely my case. Um, And there are also things like, you could be wrong about anything. So the key thing that I learned back then is that everything I learned about happiness from society was wrong. So I remember as a kid, I always thought that I'd be happy when I got something, right? So for example, uh, when I was a teenager, it was, I'll be happy when I have a girlfriend. But it could also be material things. Like I'll be happy when I buy this thing that I want to buy, this video game, or it could be a car or a house or um, a nice watch, or you know, like it could be anything, right? And clearly, that <laughs> that just wasn't working. And so I went through these multiple different ways of thinking about happiness. and each time I was like, okay, this is wrong. Maybe happiness is about, you know working towards a goal and progress. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's just about being present. Maybe it's about letting go of everything and just accepting everything. You know, like there are different ways to think about it. The point is that you could be wrong about anything. I realized that if I could be wrong about something as fundamental and as seemingly important as happiness, what else could I be wrong about? And that's when I think I became uh, really open-minded. Now, many years later, I picked up a history book. And the reason why was because history was always something that I wasn't very good at. So, stereotypically, I'm good at math and science, and I'm good at stuff that you can figure out. So the way I could put it to you is that I I am good at solving Sudokus, but not crosswords, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because the thing with Sudokus is that like, if you just use enough brain power, you can just figure it out with sheer logic. But with a crossword, if you don't know the word, you just don't know the word. Like, I can't can't make up words, right? And so history is something that because things just happened, it never made sense to me. I could never figure it out. But I was like, I I feel like it's a good idea to to learn about things that you're not good at. So I picked up a history book called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by this guy called Yuval Noah Harari. And this was one of the, I, I recommend this book to everyone because it's one of the most impactful books that I've ever read. And it talks about history where it breaks it down in a way where it gets you to question everything. And it's telling the story of humankind and, and laying out these really interesting thought experiments that completely subverts your intuition on why things are the way they are. And it tackles these big sweeping movements and, and ideas, things like religion and capitalism and imperialism and monarchy and, and in such an interesting way. And around page 300 of the book, he starts to tackle... Long book. It's a long book, (laughs) but he starts to tackle animal agriculture. And there's this entire chapter called Life on a Conveyor Belt that is about the plight of animals in modern animal farming. And there's this picture in the book of inside a hatchery for egg-laying hens where these workers were sorting out male and female chicks and throwing the male chicks in this thing that would grind them up alive to kill them. And the book was explaining that they do that because male chicks can't lay eggs. So they're useless to the industry. So what did they do? Kill them. And I was horrified, right? I grew up in Paris. I consumed meat, dairy, and eggs every single day of my life ever since I was a kid. My breakfast was butter toast and eggs. My lunch was a ham and cheese sandwich. My dinner was like a steak or a piece of fish, or you know, like yeah. that's just what I ate every single day for as long as I could remember. And now I'm learning that apparently these things. That sustain me cause immense suffering to animals beyond what I could even imagine. So I'm sitting there having this existential crisis, being like, I never knew any of this. Why didn't anyone tell me this? And also, I'm sitting there being like, you know, I like animals. They're pretty cool, and like, I don't want to hurt them. Like, what? Like, and I was, I was confused and angry. And the thought that popped in my mind was. I wanted to do something about it. And see, this is where like the thing I talked about earlier kicks in because I realized, okay, this is not comfortable to me, but I learned through my journey of personal development that I should be open to being wrong about things. And I was like, I guess my intuition around where animal products came from could be wrong, right? So that's the first thing I thought. And then the second thing was take responsibility. If I don't like what is being done to animals, the question I should ask myself is, what can I do about that? And the conclusion i came to was that the very least i could do is to not consume these products i didn't even know the word vegan back then i had no idea
1: when was this
0: this was in 2015.
1: okay right Right so i
0: never heard of the word vegan in fact like i would make fun of vegetarians (laughs) right and one one friend of mine in high school read the book eating animals um, which is one of the first books i read after i I read sapiens but he showed me these things in the book because the book is very visual so we'll have for example um, a square over two pages, and say uh, this is about the floor space that a hen has in a ke- in an egg farm, right? And jokingly, like I would, he would show me this, and I'd be like, sorry, you gonna like be vegetarian?" And he was like, "No," and we would laugh about it. So that that's where I was at. But when I, when the information finally landed, I was like, "Okay, m- maybe the least I can do is to not consume these products, right?" So that's when I decided to do that. This was over summer break, so I went back to college. And when I get back to college, I'm telling my friends, I'm like, listen guys, like I know we just went to Korean barbecue like last semester. I don't do that anymore. All right, like I'm out. <laughs> and they're like, are you like, what? Who are like, you? Like who are you? <laughs> it's so unexpected. Like, you, like this, it, it's like literally two weeks before I decided to do that. If you had told me I would ever do that, I would be like, you are out of your mind. There is no way. I love it way too much. Right. It is like a big part of my life. Um, but then, because by that time too, after I read the book, I went on a deep dive where I tried to research what happens to animals in every different industry and it just got worse and, worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And so I was like, okay, I got, I got to stop. Yeah. And so I stopped, I told my friends and then one day a friend comes up to me and he's like, okay, Ryuji, so I just got to ask you because you said you don't eat meat, are you vegan or vegetarian? Mm. Right? And I'm like, I don't even know what vegan means. So I'm like, let me get back to you. Mm. I go on Google, what does vegan mean? I find the definition of vegan basically saying that what vegans do is that they don't take part in things that hurt animals and that use animals, whether it's meat, dairy, eggs, or even clothing or entertainment or testing on animals. And I saw the definition and I was like, that makes sense. That If I can live in a way that minimizes the suffering of animals as much as possible, and if I can exclude myself from the industries that use animals and cause them suffering, I should probably do that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And so that's when I got back to my friend, I was like, I'm vegan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm back with my final answer, lock it in.
0: Exactly. I didn't know like the, the connotation behind that at the point. So like back then, you know, I was just like when it told everyone, yeah, that's basically how I'm vegan. And funny enough, like I always say that I became vegan basically overnight, but it's not quite true because it took like a couple weeks um, because, okay, my favorite animal products were eggs. Really? Every single morning for breakfast, I would eat eggs. I loved them so much, right? And so when I found out about the suffering of hens in the egg industry, my first instinct was, I better find a way to eat eggs that doesn't cause this suffering to animals. And so I show up at the farmer's markets in Orange, Orange County. And there's this egg thing, right? The stands. So I go up there and I'll never forget this. The eggs cost $8 for a dozen eggs. I'm a college student, I'm like, oh God, I guess, I guess this is what it takes. So I buy the eggs and I ask the person selling the eggs, I'm like, um, can I, I wanna buy these eggs, but I just wanna ask you some questions about what happens to the chickens on your farm. And she's like, I don't work there. I just sell the eggs. But if you want, I can give you the phone number of the farmer who raises the chickens. I'm like, that would be great. So she writes the phone number on the egg carton. I go home, cook a couple eggs, eat them, call the farmer. And I talked to him for like an hour. And that was a really, such an insightful conversation because I learned a couple things. The two biggest takeaways I got from investigating the egg industry is that first, male chicks are killed in the egg industry because they're useless. So they're killed on their first day of life.
1: He told you this? No, no, no.
0: This is what I knew from before by reading the book. Gotcha. Right? So typically by being ground up alive. Okay. And then after about two, three years of egg production, a hen's egg production declines, and then she's sent to the slaughterhouse because it's cheaper to replace her with newer chickens. And so these are the, the two things that really rub me the wrong way about, I mean, there are other things too, but those are the two main things I was focused on. So I talked to this farmer. I'm like, I just bought a dozen of your eggs. They taste really good. I wanna ask you about what happens to the chickens. He's like, I'd love to talk about it. He was super open, super appreciative to this day. Like I wish I could find him because he was a great guy. He tells me about um, what happens on his farm. And he's like, you know, uh, we feed them this and they have a lot of space and like all that. I'm like, okay, that, that sounds pretty good. So I wanna ask you about something. I heard that in the egg industry, male chicks are killed on their first day of life in hatcheries because they can't lay eggs. Does that happen uh, for the hens on your, on your farm? And he's like, yep, it does. I'm like, oh. He's like, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's how hatcheries operate. Can't do anything about it. We get the hens, the male chicks have been killed. I'm like, okay, um, okay second question. I heard that in the egg industry, after two, three years, and uh, a hen's egg production is gonna decline, and they're sent to the slaughterhouse. Is that what happens to the hens on your farm? And he's like, yep, that also happens on, on my farm. I'm like, oh, and he basically explained to me that this is, this is just the cost of doing business. It's like, there's no other way to, to run an egg farm is what he was explaining to me. And what I understood that day is that when a farmer, like an egg farmer, for example, says, you know, the, the hens on my farm are treated really well. They're only responsible for the hen while they're on the farm. Mm. The part where they're in the hatchery and the part where they're in the slaughterhouse, that's handled by different companies, like completely different entities. So their job basically ends when the people come to pick up the hens to bring to the slaughterhouse, then they're done, right? So my friends Jennifer and Rodney Barrett, who live in Wicks, Arkansas, they were chicken farmers for like 18 years. 18 years they were chicken farmers. Every single time they raised a batch of chickens, the people would come to pick up the chickens to go to the slaughterhouse. Mm. They had no idea what happened to the chickens afterwards. They'd never seen what it's like inside a slaughterhouse, right? Because it's not not part of their job, Mm. right? So the thing is that I'm sure there are a lot of farmers who have really, really great intentions. It's like everyone, it's it's very nuanced, right? So this guy, for example, that I talked to was clearly an example of a guy who was a a well-intentioned guy. And I have no doubt that his chickens probably had a much better life than on, on other farms. That being said, when you look at the entire life cycle, of a chicken in the egg industry, it's not pretty. Because look, she comes from a place where the male chicks have been killed. She's been de-beaked and declawed, and then at the end of the, her life, she's going to be in a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. No matter what that what that farm looks like, a couple of years later, or two three years later, I was at Expo West
1: mm-hmm. in Anaheim. Yeah,
0: so that is uh, basically. Uh, Uh, a trade show for like natural health foods and stuff like that. And there are a bunch of egg companies there. So I want to talk to all of them. (laughs) And so I would always ask them the same questions, right? Because they sit up there and they have these stands with these beautiful pictures of these lush green fields with chickens roaming around. They're showing videos. And so I always ask them, okay, are the male chicks killed in the hatcheries that these hens come from? Yes. Do these hens go to the slaughterhouse? Yes. In fact, like there was this one Uh, one stand in particular, (laughs) I remember like I was talking to them and I'm like, I'm sure there must be some sort of, uh, like guidelines on how those chickens are killed, right? Like how do, how do they do them? And they're like, yeah, yeah. So we do it. We do this technique called cervical dislocation. I'm like cervical dislocation. I know what that is, but I'm just like, you know, I'm asked, I'm like, what is that? Can you describe that? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah. So we take the chickens and we, we twist them like their heads and I'm like, you're ripping their heads off. They're like, no, no, no. We're just like, twist the heads, right? <laughs> like, just casually just, just saying that.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think the thing that I learned through all of this is that, look, these are businesses, and a business has to make money. And at the end of the day, the the way these businesses work is that they use and exploit animals to make a product and for them to make a profit. Right. And when push comes to to shove, well, the animals are going to suffer for that. If you have a huge demand for animal products and you want to fulfill the demand, at the end of the day, you're going to have to cut corners somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the easiest place to cut corners at is the animals.
1: Yeah, because they they, can't speak, they don't know. So
0: that's kind of like what consistently happens. And um, yeah, that's what I learned through all these experiences.
1: There's just no right way to do it. And it's like, it, the further that you look into it, the, the further you run. It's like, I mean, I grew up eating meat three times a day as well. I was never taught about the industries. And I think, you know, it's a common theme that when you show kids animals and they want to pet them, they want to play with them, there's no desire to bite into their necks and eat them. and you actually were to just show anybody where this footage comes from and if you were to educate them on it, people would not want to eat these products and I think that in itself says everything.
0: Yeah, I mean like we were working on a video at work and I was editing the script and one thing I wrote is that farm animals in the animal agriculture industry are victims of an injustice. And typically we don't think about animals as victims. Right? It seems kind of absurd. Like When I say that, you're like, Whoa, wait, wait a second. Mm-hmm. But if they're not victims, what are they? Willing participants? Right. If we did to dogs and cats what we routinely do to pigs, cows, chickens, fish, and all these other animals, it wouldn't just be a moral outrage. It would be illegal. And so when you look at the industries, honestly, from the perspective of the animals, um, that is just a very accurate way to Describe them. And I think that's really a perspective that we don't have.
1: And I think if we ask ourselves, would we want it done to us before we then say, oh, it's okay to do this to the farm animals, we might be able to say, oh, maybe this isn't so just after all. Maybe this isn't so humane and whatever that term actually means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you did a really good job at just describing like these are the standard practices. And growing up, you see all these advertisements for happy cows, you see uh, all the commercials and So we're just deeply indoctrinated. And part of what you do in your work today is you are trying to help people unlearn information that they were just taught their whole entire lives. Mm -hmm. You know, It came to a point where I had to look inward and just be like, wow, everything that I thought I knew was wrong. And I think it's so interesting that you took this self-development path and came to the information that way. Because for me, it was like this inner battle of like, I'm always right, you know, I know, I know the information. <laughs> of course. And um it just came to a certain point where like I literally had like this internal fight, this like internal battle of my parents would actually joke around with me and they would mm-hmm. be like, Are you a vegetarian this week? Or are you a vegan? Like, what are you? Because I would sit down at meals and I'd be like, I know I shouldn't be eating this, but it tastes so good. I wanna eat it, and then I would and then I would be like, no, I can't. I can't. And then mm-hmm. I would. And mm-hmm. and when you're out with friends and the social pressure, you were saying the Korean barbecue. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's like, I didn't want to be the odd one out. The last thing that I wanted to be was like, not cool. And like, I just wanted to fit in and I wanted to be fun and I wanted people to like me and... Clearly, now I don't give a crap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've like swung the opposite direction, right?
1: Yeah, people were like, ew, I don't want to sit with her. Yeah, I mean, I think the,
0: the the interesting thing about how I personally came to being vegan is that it was really like a personal development thing for me. Because yeah. look, when I first got into personal developments, the whole point was because I wanted something. Because I was, I was lacking so much in my own life in terms of how I felt internally about, like I wasn't happy with the type of friends that I had, the type of relationships that I had, like all this, these things that I wanted to fix. And it was all about that. And at a certain point, I realized that being the best version of yourself is not just having what you want, but it's also how do you make sure that everyone around you win? And ultimately, how are your actions impacting the world for better or for worse? Mm-hmm. And so when I looked at what was happening to animals, I was like, this is a very clear example of an action that I could take, being vegan, in order to, through the impact of my choices, make the world a better place. And that's the way that I thought about it. I was like, for me, you know, because people think about becoming vegan as this thing that they don't want to do because it's inconvenient. They think they're going to stand out. They think they're never going to enjoy food again. So they think it's going to be an emotionally negative experience. But for me, it's been the complete opposite. Because for me, it, like, it was a part of me growing as a person and becoming the best version of myself by being like, you know what? I don't just want to do what's best for me. I also want to see how my actions can make the world a better place. That's what fulfills me. And when you have that perspective, or for me, when I had that perspective, it made it really, really easy because I saw it as this positive thing that I was doing to better myself. Like It was in complete alignment with where I wanted to go and who I saw myself to be. And that was really helpful because for me, it was... It was super easy. I mean, to tell the truth, like, I mean, I, I wish I could tell this like story about how it was a struggle, but it was really easy.
1: Well, it's so, I think that's such an interesting point, And it really was a growing place for me as well, because I look back in high school where everything revolved around me in my head. It was, what am I going to wear to the party tonight? It was, what, what kind of homework assignment do I have? It was, um how do I feel? What do I look like? And and veganism for me was that first step of like looking outside of myself and being like, how do my actions affect the world? Mm-hmm. And and it it led me into more mindful consumption in every aspect of yeah. my life from just like thrifting and the clothing that I was buying and wearing. I mean, I wore fast fashion. Like it was my job, you know? Mm-hmm. And now <laughs> it's horrible. I was a terrible but person. I, I did
0: that too. Yeah. And I thrift now as well. And um, now, I enjoyed quite
1: a bit. Yeah. And now I really do try I I mean, I think being open-minded and just trying to learn in Mm -hmm. whatever aspect it is, is super important. And when people try and argue with me about veganism, it's like, just be, you have, it's like, they don't understand that we've done the research. Like every single day, I'm learning more and more things about these industries that is just absolutely horrifying. It's like, this is just facts and science. You just simply cannot argue with the numbers. And... There's just, I think, always being open to learning more information. And I, what really bothers me, though, is that I do have a lot of friends that are like, you're right, like, I can't argue it, but I just don't care. How do you deal with that in your life? So
0: the way that I understand it is I think this is how it goes, because as much as I like to think that I'm a rational, logical human being, I think I'm not. As humans, we're emotional creatures, right? And I remember l- reading about this in actually a personal development book. And what it was saying is that you are going to change. What, because when, when you're thinking about changing, there are two paths you could take. You could stay the same or you could change. Both have consequences. And both are going to feel painful in a way. If you stay the same, you're going to get the same results over and over again. If you change, you might get a better result in your life. But you have to go, like changing is uncomfortable. It's like, going, like moving to a new city, getting a new job, um, going to a new school. Like Those are uncomfortable things to go through. So there's that pain. And what the book was saying is that you will change when the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the way that I make sense of the way that I became vegan is I think literally what happened inside of me emotionally was I had these two conflicting emotions, right? On one hand, there was the pain of changing. I was like, I guess this is mildly um, inconvenient. I have no idea what I'm gonna eat tomorrow. Um, My breakfast has been eggs and butter toast forever. I'm gonna have to change that. I don't know what I'm gonna tell my friends. So there's all this pain associated with change. But on the other hand, there was the pain of being aware of the suffering that animals endured for these products to be made. And when I weighed those two, the pain of knowing what was happening to animals, and like when I envisioned myself staying the same, knowing what I was contributing to, that pain way outweighed the temporary pain of changing. And that's when I made the switch. And I think when people don't make that switch, it's just because it's flipped. Where they feel some sort of conflict with what they're doing. They're like, I feel kind of bad for the animals. But for them, the pain of changing just feels more heavy. Right? They think about, they're like, they they go in their heads, right? And they're thinking to themselves, if I don't change, how does that feel? Eh, kind of bad. I feel a little guilty, but I feel I can easily forget about it. And then they think about, what would it feel like if I changed? And then they go, oh, wow, now all of a sudden, I can't do this with my friends. I can't eat this thing that I love. I'm never going to enjoy steak again. What about ice cream? What about this? What about that? That sounds awful. Let me just do the other thing, right? Um, and, And that's why, by the way, like, I remember, like, I would talk to people sometimes, like, I used to, like, when COVID started hitting, I did live streams every day to, like, kind of stay connected with my community. And occasionally, I would talk to people, and they would say, like, you know I, I really want to make this change but I can't seem to bring myself to do it and the way I would do it but by the way like I'm not like a professional like you know like therapist or anything like that. So this is all like amateur stuff but what I would do is I would I would tell them okay really envision the suffering that's gonna be caused by your actions if you don't change okay and I would even get them to do math on this so for example there was this one um, girl her name was Cami. we're still like, kind of in touch to this day she's wonderful and she was like, I can't give up dairy. And so I was like, okay, how much dairy do you consume? She's like, this much. I'm like, okay, let's try to put a number on like how many dairy cows is going to cause suffering to over a year. So we kind of did the math. Like what is going to happen to those dairy cows? And she spelled because she knew everything. So she spelled it out. I'm like, okay, so based on what you said, if you keep up your habits, you are going to cause X number of dairy cows to suffer in this, this, and that way. She was like, this is horrible. I'm like, okay, now think about changing. How painful would that be? she said i don't know i would crave cheese i guess <laughs> and i'm like and i would get her to list like the pain associated with changing and i was like compare the two right and she was like oh changing seems much easier and then she changed and like she's vegan today right so like i i think like that's that's kind of like how i make sense of it. it it could be like a lot of different things to be clear like this is just one of many ways to think about it
1: nowadays there's just so many products too though that are so delicious so healthy for you, and they're all vegan, and then it causes a lot less suffering.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and I think we have to look at like over time. You know, back in two thousand fifteen, you didn't even know what the word vegan was. Now most people do know what the word vegan is, and you're seeing advertisements for plant-based. You're seeing the word vegan in mainstream media. You're seeing a company like Beyond Meat in every supermarket Mm. and so the options are there and i always find it frustrating that i have friends that are like i want to go vegan like you know it's hard and then we go out to eat and there's a million vegan options on the menu yet they still choose the non-vegan option
0: yeah i I mean i think there are like different dimensions to this because another aspect of this is how we learn to see farm animals. The thing that I always found fascinating is that if you look at something like the Yulin Dog Meat Festival, I used to go around a lot and ask people what they thought about it. Like, I, I used to do this all the time when I took Ubers. I even did videos or asked people at the dog park, like all this stuff. And people, like in the States at least, are consistently horrified by something like the Yulin Dog Meat Festival. And they're like, this is awful. Uh, I would never take part. I cannot eat dog meat. I, I just can't. I didn't even tell them about how the animals are treated, they have no idea. They're just like this like conceptually seems horrifying. And in part, I, I have to guess that that's due to the way that we relate to dogs in our society. We see them as our family members, as friends. We understand they're individuals with thoughts and feelings and the capacity to suffer, and they're each all unique, and you know, we that's how we see them. For farm animals we don't see them like that we look at a pig farm or a chicken farm or a cow farm and all the animals look the same they're just numbers we treat them legally their property and we just see them as these milking machines these egg machines these meat producing machines right and so when i started out with advocacy i used to spend quite a bit of time trying to expose the suffering of these animals So i'll try to show videos of what happens to them in farms and slaughterhouses the standard legal stuff and i found that sometimes people would see it but they wouldn't be that affected by it and over time i realized that i think that the people who are not affected by it they just don't see these animals in in anywhere like not even remotely closely to the way that they see dogs and that's when i was like i think that there are like two things going like on one hand it's good to like expose the suffering that these animals endure but if people don't care about these animals as individuals then the footage basically has no impact. Like, the best example of this is fish. So you take footage from the fishing industry where these giant nets are pulling out, you know, thousands of fish out of the ocean. They're being crushed under each other's weight and suffocating. Then they're just, like, on the boat, suffocating, like, just flapping about, obviously intensely suffering. And people watch this, and they're not affected by it at all because... They, they don't see fish as individuals who feel and think and 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 who suffer and i think that that's sometimes like what happens as well where it's like people think well you know it's kind of bad what happens to animals but just because like emotionally or even maybe rationally the way that they see farm animals is they don't recognize how much they can suffer or how much how much they're similar to the animals that we do love in all the ways that matter um they're like well must not matter that much Mm -hmm. right and i think that's that's another dimension to it as well which is why i think it's super important to um you know do what we can to to change the way that we see animals culturally so that we can recognize them as individuals who feel think and have the capacity to suffer
1: Uh, that's i think you broke it down perfectly and that does make a lot of sense and part of what i try to do in my advocacy is i try to Speak to each individual and see what route I could take with them to relate and at least build some sort of credibility. And some people are just, they care about their health. Some people care about the environment more. And whatever route it is that I can kind of get in there and be like, animal agriculture is an issue that relates to everything. Human rights, ethics of eating animals, animal rights, environment, health it just it's something that is it's not necessarily the solution to every single issue in the world but it is mm-hmm. something that does branch out to so many different issues mm-hmm. and so i think for a lot of people trying to process the suffering and actually realizing that these animals are all sentient beings and all individual beings that have feelings and emotions i almost feel like it's so hard for people to process it because once you do begin to process it it's devastating it's horrifying i was expressing to you earlier that Knowing the truth has almost caused me to suffer from PTSD and and get really sad and and depressed thinking about it. It's like almost so hard to exist in this world once you really know the truth. Um, Just because sometimes I feel so helpless, like, oh my God, billions of animals are being violently killed every single year. People are suffering from this and there's not much I can do except... Try and speak up about it Except make these podcasts Except, you know Relate to other people That get it, you know
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I I mean, I guess I, I couldn't say with certainty How common it is But I have to guess It's pretty common Because, like, I, I definitely went Through that as well uh, I remember, like, many nights Where I would just, like Think about the suffering And I would just, like Be crying, like, all night Like, couldn't sleep um, not, Like, now I feel like You know, I, I go through Like, different waves Like, na- I watched so much footage of awful things that happen to animals for work of course uh, that it, like i feel like i'm just like kind of numb to it now uh which you know is that good but like i don't know but um yeah i mean i i definitely have felt that for a very 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 long time where i think like if you really dive into the suffering that occurs in the world, and you try to empathize with it, right? Because it's one thing to look at the footage and be like, oh, that, that feels horrible. But it's another thing when you try to imagine what it would be like for you to be in that position. Or maybe you try to imagine, you know, you look at an animal being in, like in a slaughterhouse, and you think to yourself, what if the animal was a dog or a cat that I personally know? And when you really start to imagine that, it's completely devastating. I mean, it's like, there's kind of like no words to describe it. I've struggled with it for a long time, and actually the one thing that really helped me with that, like I had this experience that like, I don't know how to recommend people to do this, but I'll share the experience that really helped me process that. So it was actually at this personal development training in Los Angeles that I went to. And this whole training was about, uh, it was about leadership and becoming the person you want to be and like, you know, being clear about who you are and stuff like that. And it was also about letting go of the things that run you and letting go of past trauma and stuff like that. And one of the exercises that we did was about uh, essentially letting go of the, like like letting go of the people that you've hurt or the people that have hurt you. It was all about like betrayal and um, stuff like that. And at one point, so, so we're sitting in these chairs right in this room. This trainer says picture all the people that you have betrayed in your life.
1: Mm.
0: And this image of all like this, this massive number of animals just popped into my mm. head where I saw the, like my imagination of what would be the animals that it caused suffering to in my life up to that point. And it was just like a, an ocean of animals. It was like these countless faces And, you know, then we went through a process of, like, letting go of that, and, like, it it was, it was intense. So I didn't realize how much it had affected me, Um, and in that moment, I I just kind of, like, let let go. And the way, what that looked like is I was just crying and yelling, as was, like, everyone in the room. But, but, like, you know, I was, like, crying and yelling and just, like, really, like, you know, feeling these intense emotions and processing them and, and then just, like, letting them go. And I remember after that, I felt so light for the first time in years. Like, I re- like in that moment, I realized that before that, I had been carrying this burden of the suffering that I had caused. Like, it was such a heavy thing that was clouding everything in my life. And in that moment, I was able to to let go of that, and it was it was so powerful. And, and that was also like the moment where like I started like crying again like, as, an, as an adult, mm. but. Yeah, and, and then, you know, like, I I was able to kind of do that to, like, a lesser degree, like, after. But anyways, uh, so that was an experience that, like, had really helped me. But um, I'm, like, I'm not sure how to tell someone to be, to be, like, you know, this is what you do to do that at home. To heal. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's my experience, and hopefully it's helpful. Because at least if someone's out there, it can be, like, oh, it can be done. Like, you can lift this burden off of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and I found that... The practical implication of doing that is that it made me a much more effective mm. just advocate in general.
1: And you've also found your niche, which is filmmaking. And so mm. you're able to take your passion and use your your skills to then convey and educate a message and, and to people, and you're, you're doing that. And you're really inspiring to so many people. And I always say, you know, for those of you guys that are listening, if you have a passion for, for art, if you're really good at public speaking, if you know you like filming and being in front of the cameras, that's something to explore because you could use those skills to then push a message forward. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, videos were a huge player in my my steps towards going vegan because I would see this slaughter footage and I would just be horrified from it. I mean, yours started with the books, mm-hmm. but I think video is just a super powerful element. So can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now and your work today and where you see yourself, you know, in a couple years from now?
0: Yeah, sure. So I, th- I think what, I, what I'm trying to do is to take all these ideas and like you said, make them digestible and easy to understand and engaging and interesting. And the big mindset shift that I've had over the past year, and I got this from uh, an author called Malcolm Gladwell, what he said is that one of the main driving forces behind his work is he asks himself the question, what is interesting? And that really hit me because as someone who's trying to make the world a better place, my intuition, my instinct is to talk about things that I think are important, I think to myself, people need to know about X, Y, and Z. And that's what I'm going to talk about. Problem is X, Y, and Z is not always interesting to people. In fact, just look at, you know, maybe your behavior and the behavior of people around you, people spend way more time watching TV shows on Netflix rather than documentaries on things that they, they would say in theory, they think are important. Right? Like it's like as, as much as like, I wish that we were driven to know the things that are important. I think we're much more driven to learn the things that are interesting to us. Mm -hmm. And so the question that I ask myself is, okay, how do I tell a story that's interesting and starts there? So now like I really, that like, that's all I focus on is what is interesting versus like, I I care deeply about what is important. In fact, like it's pretty much the only thing I care about, but I recognize that if I'm going to be effective at communicating this, I better think about what, like, what are the stories that are interesting about this? What is the interesting way to present this information that I think is important? Um, and so that's what I try to do through everything that I do, whether it's the work we do at Surge or the work that I do independently as well.
1: Mm-hmm, because it's like otherwise you could have all of this important information, but if you can't effectively communicate it, nobody's going to listen. Exactly. So that I think is absolutely. Or, or s- some
0: people might listen. Yeah. But I think you're you're. Like your reach is is pretty limited. Right. And um and I mean you you can do it that way as well. I, I I mean, there are a million ways to do different things, but like for me, like that's really where I'm personally trying to go, I guess is.
1: So I really like how you brought up the self development thing and just personal development in general because I want to kind of round out this episode and this podcast with some tips. Like what are your morning and nighttime routines? What are exercises that you do or have done in the past that have helped you develop into this like really just well-spoken, intelligent person coming from a place where like you weren't confident, where you couldn't even get in front of a camera. Like I, I hope that, you know, through this episode everybody's that that is listening that you're taking away something from this and maybe you can apply some of these skills, um, to your own lives, basically.
0: Yeah, Yeah, sure. So I think the, the first thing is really making a commitment. Like I didn't consciously do this for me. It was just like out of desperation, but I think the first step is to make a commitment to a lifelong journey of personal development. Like understand that, like, you know, you can always improve in life in whatever area it is, like in your health, your relationships, your work, you're, you know, like whatever, you can always get 1% better. And so if you realize that if you just get 1% better over a long period of time, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, in the long run, you'll build a much better life for yourself. And you'll be able to accomplish in the world what you want to accomplish much more effectively if you commit to growing as a person every single day. So that's the first thing, you want to make commitments. In a lot of ways, I think that, you know, if you make the commitment, you'll figure out the way. Because if it's important to you, like different people have different ways of going about it right Mm -hmm. so i had a specific journey like other people are gonna have a different type of journey that's totally fine um the second thing that really helped me personally was education so i when i was in high school learned that essentially all the people that i looked looked up to were avid readers so i started reading avidly (laughs) i was like you know whatever i'm doing now is not working let me at least read i mean if you think about what a book is It's incredible, right? So people who have spent sometimes their entire lives figuring out these very difficult things, write these books to basically condense their entire life experience. And this like 200 page thing that you can buy for like 15 bucks and you can, like there are books that I've read when I was in high school that still serve me today every single day. Like just think about that for a second. Like that is the impact that books can have on you. So like it was massive. Plus, the added benefit of that is that it it helps you focus. So, like, there's some friends that I talk to that they can't seem to sit down and read a book for an extended period of time. And, like, so, like, I -hmm. I used to be like that as well. And I recognized that, okay, like, if I'm going to do great work in my life, I better learn to sit and focus. And reading is just a a great exercise, a, a great way to do that. So there was that. The third thing that I started doing back then is I started meditating. So I, I, full disclosure, like I fell off it right now, but I've done it for years and it's been super helpful. Um, really the biggest thing I think that I did that's, you know, encompasses all that is I put myself around the right influences. what mean, right, like, there are no like right and wrong influences, it's whatever you want for your life. So, you know, whatever. But for me, I understood that the thoughts that were in my head, And the thoughts that my friends were having and the people around me were having were not that helpful. And I realized that there were way smarter people in the world who had way better ideas. And so what I started doing is I started listening to those people for hours every single day. There's this thing in personal development that you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Plus the books you read sometimes they'll say. But the point is that like if you hang out with people who gossip and complain all the time, you're going to do that. If you hang out around people who are always about moving forward being the best version of themselves pushing themselves being passionate being kind you're you're gonna be like that right right. and like i don't think as human beings we're like independent and strong enough to overcome that gravitational pull and so that's what i recognized and at the time i didn't have people like that in my actual real life so the next best thing is just went on youtube right and so i found people that i could look up to and i would just listen to them all day every, and I still do this by the way. Like I still spend a huge amount of time listening to people who think bigger than me, who have like who, who have like bigger ambitions than me, mm. or you know, or, or like whatever, who are better than me in some area of my life. Because that pushes me to be like, oh yeah, like that's what I can strive towards. Um but yeah, so those are just a few things that have personally helped me and hopefully will help someone as well.
1: So I really want to get specific. Yeah, yeah. What are some people that you watch and that we can maybe check out
0: yeah so so i mean like i think everyone's going to resonate with different people so to Mm -hmm. be clear um when i started out like i like i just listened to like the most mainstream stuff so what when i said actually the fun the funny one i think this is hilarious is like the tape from the 1960s like this guy called earl nightingale who like made these these personal development tapes like way back so i listened to that a lot I also listen to classic stuff like Tony Robbins, for example, just like, super popular. I mean, you know, like, you can say whatever you want about him, but, like, at the time, like, I found him really, really helpful. Today, the people that I listen to, it like, the criteria I have is I want people who think bigger than me. I, I take inspiration from a lot of different places, but I listen out to, like, a lot of artists, for example. Uh, my, my favorite artist in the world... I don't think I ever said this, part, but, like, my favorite artist in the world is Tyler, the creator.
1: Really? I love this guy. Okay. Yeah,
0: and, like... The reason I, like, because I see so much that I can learn from him. He is so authentic to who he is. He, he's, he's basically figured out exactly who he is. He's like, this is what I'm about. This is what I think I'm, I think is cool and deal with it. And <laughs> I think like, and there's so much to learn from him in the way that he, he accepts himself and in the way that he pays attention to detail. So for example, like a lot of what I did in the, in the latest fish video that I did, like was like directly inspired by him, like you don't like you won't you won't see it, but like there's this video of him on the internet, one of my favorite videos, where he talks about the making of, the making of his album Flower Boy, which is like one of my favorite albums of all time, and is this weird video where like for an hour he has this conversation with this guy about the album and like how he came up with it and like like and what really struck me with that is like how much attention to detail he has about these different things and how obsessed he is with like getting things right. And like the level of commitment to his work and to his art was so incredibly inspiring. That's an area in which he thought bigger than me, right? He had a bigger commitment to his art than I had to my art. And so that pushed me to commit to excellence in what I am doing. Right. So, I mean, you know, it can be whatever you want. Like I happen to, for, to listen to like a lot of business people. I just kind of enjoy it. I just find it fun, even though like, so I don't, I'm not in that world at all personally. Um, but I, I don't think it matters so much like who specific. You've got to figure out like what works for you. But for me, the criteria is just, you know, they're ahead of me in some area of life. And I want, I want to surround myself with people who think bigger than me. Because otherwise like, I just find that if I don't, I think really small.
1: And then people are going to watch you and they're going to feel like, wow, like he's thinking bigger than me. Like I'm going to listen to this guy. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you know, no, seriously. And I think that that's really, really helpful. I mean, some of my favorite people, Jay Shetty, mm-hmm. he's really, I mean, Earthling Ed was on his mm-hmm. his show, which yeah, yeah. is amazing. Um, I used to intern at SiriusXM and we would have all these different guests come on, everybody from doctors. Uh, nutritionists, we would have uh, veterinarians come on, we would have uh, exercise and fitness people, and just like learning all different aspects and just always just trying to absorb new information, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think one thing that I really want to work on more is reading for sure. The book that I'm actually in the middle of right now is called The Power of Now. Oh, that was a great book. But you, you see yeah. Of course you it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's just, it takes me a little bit of time. I find that I need to just especially because it's a lot of information and Mm -hmm. it's just it's not usual stuff that i'm used to hearing so it just takes me a while to process it i guess but yeah i'm trying so those are little goals and i think starting somewhere just setting little goals whether it's waking up 20 minutes earlier than you normally do or like going for a walk instead of going on your phone first thing in the morning these are all things that i'm trying to do um to to just be better and also um i don't know maybe it's fitness goals maybe it's just like trying to volunteer, work at, volunteer at an animal shelter, maybe foster. I mean, there's just so much, so many things to do. And life is so short, so it's like, why not? Why shouldn't we, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but this is all super amazing. Is there any other subjects that we should touch on that we maybe didn't cover?
0: Good. Qu- is there anything that you wanted to cover?
1: I mean, there's so much that we could go into and cover, but I know that, you know, with time, I, I just want to, you know... Get to as much as we can because you're so complex and so interesting, and I could go literally on and on for forever because there's just so much to talk about. But I'm trying to think for this episode. I think you know we covered everything from your vegan story to every personal development tactics to what you're working on now. Um, maybe are there any projects that you want to want people to go check out at the moment?
0: Um, I mean, I think the most useful thing that I've personally created is. I made this documentary and it's like a YouTube video, okay? But like, I put it out and people in the comments keep calling it a documentary. So that's why I just roll with it. But it's a a video I made about fish who happen to be the animals who endure the most suffering at the hands of humans, by far, both in the number of fishes that we cause suffering to and in the intensity of the suffering that they endure, right? And parallel to that, they're the animals that we afford the least amount of protection against cruelty and suffering, both culturally and legally, everywhere in the world. The way we treat fish is closer to the way we treat vegetables than other animals. And part of the reason why I think is because we have these stereotypes about them. So people will say that fish are barely conscious, they're primitive, they probably don't even feel pain. And that's how we thought about fish for a long time. Like I believe that a goldfish had a three second memory. You know, I don't know. Um, And it turns out that those stereotypes are completely wrong. And that evidence has shown for years now that fish feel, think, and suffer like the other animals that we care about. And they have the traits that are necessary for us to consider them in our circle of moral consideration. And so I made a thing about this because what I found is that when talking about fish, if I just showed what was happening to fish, no one cared. If I said something like, you know, studies have shown that fish feel pain, which is something that everyone says nowadays. Studies have shown that X, Y, Z. Well, it's cool, but it doesn't, it's like, the, the problem with saying that is that studies say anything. Like something is not true because there is a peer reviewed research paper talking about this thing. Something is true because evidence, sufficient evidence suggests that this thing is true. And so instead of just saying, studies show that fish feel pain, I wanted to understand, what has the actual research been, like, what research has actually been done on fish and on their sentience and on their intelligence and on how they can feel pain? So I went to, like, read about all this for, like, a year. And I took the most interesting bits that I found and made it into this video, right, where I explain the evidence that suggests why fish are uh, are conscious. They're much more intelligent than we give them credit for. And I also talk about, like, the, the research that's been done on fish pain, which is uh, like twisted, but also important to understand. Um, and so you can check that out. It's got a terrible name. It's called How Conscious Can a Fish Be? I really bombed the title and thumbnail on that one, but you know, we'll roll with it.
1: What would you have named it?
0: Um, I, you know, looking back, like if I could have marketed it like a documentary, I think I would have called it It's Just a Fish or It's Just a Fish Bro. Okay. I, I don't know. That's Maybe a, that's good that could too. be a. I don't know. I'm not very good at this titles thing. So just forgive me. But the video is like, you know, people enjoyed a lot and I found it very useful. So, uh, you know, you can check it out on my YouTube channel. Also on my website at peacebyvegan.com forward slash fish. You can also check out all the sources that are listed there. Um, I absolutely
1: loved it. No, it was really, really amazing. And the way that you told the story of all of the studies that you researched, it was, I was engaged. I, you know, reading studies. To me, is boring, um, and I, I would not. I mean, I had a
0: hard time also when I was. I'm sure yeah. I was just. You know, some of it I was just. I just read it, and I'm like, <laughs> Is this in English? Like, I'm just what, <laughs> like, <laughs> What is this saying? Right. I'm so confused. Um, but you had yeah. to
1: understand it and really go through all those details to then be able to. It to yeah, us. Yeah. And one of the studies, you know, that I found very interesting was the fish that one of the researchers put in one of those tanks where there was like a playground in one section of the tank, and then in another section of the tank, it was just barren. And what ended up happening was after she did a few trials, the researcher had. Put um, shots of like acid into the fish and caused them to supposedly feel pain, you know, from what we may have think and thought. And so we wanted to see what their behavior was. And then what she ended up doing was they, she put them back in the tank. And in the trials before, all the fish wanted to swim to where the playground was. And then in the last trial, she put morphine or some type of like, painkiller pain into the barren tank. And the fish that had acid injected in them actually. Left the playground. They didn't want to go to the playground. They went to the bear inside of the tank where the painkiller was because they Felt a sense of relief and the way that you told it. I was like this is unbelievable. You know, just it's It's really crazy how we totally disregard their their Ability to feel i
0: mean, so twisted so like these scientists they were asking self these questions like do fish feel pain How do we test that? Let's do things that would hurt fish and then, like, look at what they're doing. I mean, like, this is so, like, you know, it, like, the way that they have thought about it is they have basically said, like, let's not assume anything until, pro- like, until we can prove that it actually feel pain. Um,
1: they were saying it's just a reaction, like a plant. right?
0: And, like, And I, I really hope that we move towards a world where, like, we start with the assumption that animals suffer until proven otherwise instead of the opposite. Because for the longest time, we've at least acted like it's the opposite. Like we assume that animals don't feel pain unless, until we're absolutely sure. Mm. And that's just such a shame because we've caused so much suffering to so many animals in that process.
1: Absolutely. And you're part of waking that world up and and being the change in that. So why don't you just tell everybody where they can find you once again and where they can check out your work?
0: Sure. Yeah. So it's at Peas by Vegan everywhere.
1: Perfect. Easy enough. And I'm at JLo Kurtz. This is Jamie's Corner. So be sure to check out some more videos. There's a lot of content coming. And I got to have you on again soon. This is amazing.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.